reading from Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going about a single day's walk. And he cried out, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Now when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Nineveh. Oh, Nineveh. Those cruel and violent people who took what wasn't theirs and hurt many along the way. They were not by any definition good people. They were wicked. So can you blame Jonah, the reluctant prophet, when he doesn't want to go there, when he doesn't want to travel to a foreign place, to a people he feared, and give a message that these people won't want to hear? In the part of the story we didn't read this morning, Jonah initially flees from his calling and goes in the exact opposite direction. Resisting God, as many of you know, if you're familiar with the story, doesn't turn out great for Jonah. While on the sea, there is a storm and everyone on the ship is in danger. But Jonah knows why this is happening. He tells the people to throw him overboard, and when they do, the storm calms, and a big fish comes and swallows up Jonah, and Jonah gets to enjoy an all-expenses-paid three-day vacation in the belly of the fish. Here's the thing about Jonah. We can understand why Jonah would be afraid, why he wouldn't want to stand in the land of his enemies and preach judgment against them, how he would fear for his own life, except that's not the reason that Jonah doesn't want to go. He's not afraid that they will kill him. He's afraid that God will be merciful. He's afraid that if God gives them a chance to repent, they will, and God will forgive them. He wants to see judgment for Nineveh. He wants them to get the punishment they deserve. Finally, Jonah goes. He walks around the city, giving the worst but somehow most effective sermon ever. He warns Nineveh of their fate in as few words as possible. And just as Jonah feared... They repent, all of them. Every last one of these wicked people fasted and put on sackcloth and turned to God, hoping for God's mercy. The repentance is so complete that even the animals participate. 
And just like Jonah expected, God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And God doesn't destroy the city. Here's the thing about God. God loves the people that Jonah hates. God loves the people that we hate. Those people, those terrible people, you know the ones. God loves them. They were created in God's image, too. They just lost their way. And God doesn't want to hurt them or to punish them. God wants them to change, to stop being wicked and be the people that they were created to be. We know that the Ninevites repent, but we don't really find out if Jonah does. Yes, he eventually brings the message that God wants him to bring, but he's still really angry that God let the Ninevites off the hook. I'm glad that even though Jonah doesn't get it 100% right, that God still used him. God used him to save the city of Nineveh. And it gives me hope that God can still use me, even when I'm being a bit of a Jonah desiring justice and disappointed by mercy. Last week, we talked about what it means to be called, the many ways that the Spirit nudges us and guides us throughout our lives. Another piece of being called is being called to love people the way that God loves people. Seeing all people as children of God, loving, finding a way to love the people we hate. Oh, Pastor Sarah, hate is too strong of a word. I don't hate anyone. Okay. If that's the case, then the people you dislike, the people who annoy you or frustrate you, the people you hope get what's coming to them, the people you block or unfriend on Facebook, the people you can't believe you are related to because their views are so different from yours, the people who seem to have hate on their hearts, who discriminate against and hurt others, the people you love because you have to as a child of God, but whose actions and words you hate, those people. Those are the people we are called to love. Love your enemies. It's what Jesus said. It's what Jesus did and what Jesus still does. When Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, James and John to be fishers of men, he's going to take them on a journey of love. Jesus is going to show them how you love the poor and the hungry and the sick, how you take people who are outside of community and you bring them in. But he's also going to show them how to love the people that you're tempted to hate, 
ministering to Samaritans, breaking bread with a tax collector, healing the soldier who arrests him, forgiving the people who crucify him from the cross. The people we hate are the people we are called to love because God's love is transformational. It changes the world. God loves the people we hate and thank goodness because it was up to us, as sinful as we can be, with our hearts so vulnerable to hate with our inability to see our own prejudices and shortcomings, to realize that sometimes we are, in fact, those people, at least some of the time, wicked without being able to see our own wickedness, unaware of how we hurt and oppress others. It's good news that judgment is not ours, that it's always God's, and that God is much more forgiving than we are that God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I'm still processing all that has happened in our country this past month. Less than three weeks ago, there was the attack on our Capitol building, and one of the most disturbing images for me from that day was how the cross was used. Some of that mob identified as Christians. They felt that they were doing God's work. They took a holy symbol that we share and used it for their own means, making it really unclear for people outside of the church to see any distinction between that angry mob and everyone else who bears the name Christian. People who are promised in baptism that they will be peacemakers and seek justice. If I'm being really honest here, these are the people I hate. These are the people who take a holy symbol of God's love and turn it into something ugly. But I don't want to have hate in my heart. I want to live in a more loving world. At the inauguration on Wednesday, I was in awe listening to the beautiful words of poet laureate Amanda Gordon's poem, The Hill We Climb. She was standing on the same steps that white supremacists had stormed on January 6th. And she wasn't filled with anger, which would have been understandable. And she wasn't a reluctant prophet. She was bold in her message. And even though she didn't know if her words would be received or rejected, she was filled with love and she spoke of hope and she talked about a future not predetermined by our past a future where we seek harm for none and harmony for all. She quoted scripture claiming that same cross. And she declared that if we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy. 
And finally, she proclaimed, there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. She chose love. She embodied loving your enemies. And I hope that her words were prophetic, that we see change, that we witness transformation. We don't know that much about Nineveh. We don't know exactly what they did to deserve a reputation that was worse than others at the time. But imagine for a second that they are as violent and cruel as Scripture describes. And the city repents as fully as Scripture describes. Think about how the world would have changed in that moment when a superpower, this major city of the Assyrian Empire, repented. When a whole city stopped being people of the sword and returned to being people of God. When they stopped being people of power and cruelty and became people of humility and love. Imagine what a powerful witness that was. Imagine how all the people around them breathed a sigh of relief. Imagine how the Ninevites felt to no longer hold the title of wicked and instead to be a people forgiven. Even the Ninevites repented. Even the Ninevites were forgiven. But it wouldn't have happened without the one. The one who went into the land of his enemies and shared God's word. Jonah didn't like it, but his ministry to his enemies transformed these people he hated. God used Jonah to make the world a little better. So let us imagine a world where we don't write off our enemies where we don't see anyone as too wicked to be redeemed or too hateful to return to God. Let us imagine a ministry where we follow the example of Jesus and return hate with love, knowing that only love transforms. What a witness that would be. And more than imagining this world, may God empower us to be courageous prophets ministering to the people we fear, transforming the world and transforming our own hearts in the process until we all become the people we were created to be, made in the image of God, loving one another the way that God loves us. Amen.